I tell you, it's special for a son to be able to watch his dad honor his God and his mom all in the same time, right? Excited to see uh, my dad taking that step, and we'll be voting uh, on his position as a yoke fellow here in a couple weeks. Uh, so very excited about that. Um, so real quickly before we dive into today, I do have uh, two quick announcements. Uh, please don't forget about the Halloween outreach. Uh, if you're wanting to be a host home uh, in one of those uh, neighborhoods, please uh, let the church office know. We can make sure that that gets set up. Again, if you're wondering what that is, we're going to be having uh, families, you know, host church families at their house, and they're going to be basically just reaching out uh, to their neighbors uh, as they're handing out candy, but just talking to them about about the church, you know, and where appropriate, if people engage in conversation, talk to them about God. I can guarantee you this, there will be multiple families in every neighborhood that we are in that need to know the truth about who Jesus is. And this is our opportunity to bring the the love and life of Christ into our community. And so let's be in prayer uh, for that event. If you want to be involved, you know, like I said, call the church office, but everyone can bring candy, so please uh, be sure to do that. Uh, the, the second announcement I had is, uh, so next Sunday, Aaron Rice, our uh, missionary to Peru, uh, he's going to be here uh, speaking and sharing with us all. So I'm very excited about you know, hearing from him and the work that he and his family are doing uh, down in Peru. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into today. And you know, I'm very excited about the start that we've had uh, to this Bulletproof series. It's been a, a wonderful time for us to study and learn about spiritual warfare and to hear uh, God's word. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth and that we must be clothed in righteousness for the armor of God to be effective. We know that we can't put the armor of God and head out and be naked underneath, right? And we have to have the garments of salvation. We need to have that relationship with God in order for the armor uh, to work. We know that truth can only come from God because he is the creator. Truth being the, uh, the standard by which all reality is judged. God created reality, and so truth can only come from him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. He is what we set our walk with God on. We know that if we reject truth, we will lose the battle. The, the church in Israel, or the, the Israelites, remember, they, they were described as, you know, approaching God or, you know, worshiping God with their lips, but their hearts were far from them. Their worship was based only on human rules that they had been taught, not about their actual surrender to God. They even told their prophets, they said, quit confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. And because of that, they lost the battle. And so we know that we can't reject that truth because truth brings victory, it brings freedom, and it brings deliverance. When we struggle against sin, when we are battling, we know that the truth in God's word helps us overcome. And it's a wonderful and important segue into today as we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And this is why I love having teachers on staff to help because they've got cool things like this that act as a visual. So breastplate of righteousness, we're going to be talking about that today. And one of the things that we need uh, to realize when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, right? So we said that truth is a standard by which all reality is judged. That, and the truth can only come from God because he's the creator. Well, righteousness is a standard that we all have to attain if we want to be set right with God. But we can't attain that on our own. We can only attain that through Christ and the fact that he came and died. His blood was shed, washed away our sins as we confess our belief uh, in him. And so let's talk about today uh, what that means. We realize that both of these things, truth and righteousness, can only come from God. But before we dive in, let's pray and uh, really uh, give this service over to God. Give our hearts 
over to him and ask that we are receptive to the message that he wants us to hear. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. We thank you that he came and died on the cross for our sins, that he is here uh, with us as we are worshiping you. God, and I pray that you would uh, speak to us today, God, that you would just pierce our hearts, God, penetrate our soul with your word. Take our defenses down, Lord. We surrender to you in this time, and we look forward to what you're going to speak to us today uh, through, you, through your word, Lord. God, let, let what we hear, God, take, take root in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives, Lord God, as we move forward. God, speak to us today. Reveal the actions that we need to take to be drawn closer to you. Lord, we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So clearly, righteousness is a priority to God, and it is his will that it is a priority for us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. Now, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And, you know, Jesus, he's talking to the people in context. He is telling them, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about, you know, the trivial things in life. He says, pagans, you know, those that don't believe in God, they worry about those things. But you as a follower of God, you as a child of God, you pursue God. You pursue his righteousness. You pursue his kingdom. And all of those other things are going to be added to you. But what I love is here from the Amplified you know, we get an understanding of what it means to pursue the Lord. Wednesday nights, we're going through a Bible study or, you know, really a study on how to study the Bible. We're going through different tools. Last week, we talked about different versions. This is a prime example of why we would look at different translations of the Bible. Because when it says, you know, seek his kingdom, what that means is to aim at, to strive after. To me, it means prioritize. Now, the problem for me, like when, when I prioritize, Maybe you're not like this, but I am. I have a priority 1A, I have a priority 1B, I have a priority 1C. You know, I've got like all the alphabet before I even get to my second priority. Anybody else like that? Okay, maybe we can, we can commiserate with one another. So, but the thing is, like, priorities mean nothing unless you act on them, right? So the, the thing that I see here is when, when we look at it in this light, to aim after, to strive after, means there is an action that I take in my seeking of God's kingdom and his righteousness. As I seek to be like him, as I seek to be right and do right the way that he would, what we have to realize is we are set right with God with an active pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about faith and works and the importance of the marriage, rather, between them. That I can't just confess with my mouth that I am a Christian. I have to demonstrate that belief by the way that I live my life and the transformation that occurs there. And so when Jesus says to pursue righteousness, he is automatically, he is telling us that this is a verb. There is an action that we have to take. There is an effort that we have to put forth. And this is how we can be made right. Because and this, is, this is important. Because righteousness is the standard by which we have to be judged or that we have to attain to be right with God. In 1 Peter 1, it says, Be holy because I am holy. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, Cleanse yourself from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 
In 2 Timothy 2, it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. In Ephesians 5, it says, take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness. 1 John 3 says, no one who continues to sin is in God. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God sent him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So righteousness is a priority. Righteousness needs to be something that we walk in if we are to be set right with the Lord. So how do we do that? How can we walk in that righteousness? The thing that we have to understand first is we must realize the connection that exists between the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and righteousness are, inter- are like inextricably linked. They cannot be separated in the context of you know, what we're talking about today. And what we see is, um, Tony Evans talks about in the study that we're doing, that righteousness is the application of truth in our everyday lives. Let's think about what we talked about last week. That we said last week that truth is the life of Christ. Truth is God's word. So righteousness, therefore, is the application of Christ's life and God's word into our everyday lives. That's plain and simple. Righteousness is the application of Christ's life and God's word into our everyday lives. And this is the way that we have to live. And we get a beautiful picture of what that looks like in Titus. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So we look at this and what we understand, Paul is writing to Titus and he is saying that truth is found in grace. That truth is found in this realization that I cannot attain the standard of righteousness on my own. That my sin separates me from God and I needed the sacrifice of Christ. When I apply the truth of grace to my life, I receive salvation. And in, in doing that, in receiving the gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit then teaches me how to recognize and avoid the things of the world, how to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires, but then how to say yes to the things that are of, that are of God. Because look what it says. It says that Christ came to redeem and then purify for himself a people that are eager to do good. So what that tells me is that when I apply the truth of grace to my life, I'm not now given a license. Rather, I'm given a lesson on how to pursue the things of the Lord. That is what it means to walk in righteousness. The the issue is, far too often we deny the truth of grace. Far too often we deny that we even need grace. Listen to what it says in 1 John. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Not just us, we make God out to be a liar. Why would, why would he say that? Listen, if we say that we are not sinned, we are contradicting what God says, because God says that we have sinned. So if I say that I haven't sinned, what I'm doing is I am saying, no, God is wrong. 
but I have sinned. You have sinned. We've all sinned. And the point is, is that in that place of sin, God still loved us and he sent his son. And that's the truth of grace. When I apply it to my life, I receive salvation and I can walk in righteousness. But if I refuse to admit that, if I refuse to acknowledge the sin that exists in my life, I am denying that truth. I must confess. John says that the way that we apply truth, this truth to our life, is we confess our sins. We confess them. And it's not just like, okay, well, I'm going to confess that I sinned this week out of pride. No, it's in, in Matthew 5, uh, what it talks about, blessed is he who mourns, for he will be comforted. The, the real definition or the real explanation of what it means to mourn is we are mourning over our sinful condition. We mourn over the fact that our sin does separate us from God. And when I confess my sin that way, I receive the comfort that comes from being welcomed into the family of God. And this is, what, this is the way that we have to apply that truth. We get another picture of it in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the writer of Hebrews, he tells us that the way that we apply truth is we throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. We throw off everything that hinders us. In uh, another translation, it says that not just the sin that so easily entangles, but so easily and cleverly entangles us. Anybody ever been entangled in sin? You make... A bad decision, you make one choice, and then the next thing you know, you've made choice after choice after choice after choice, and you look up and you see how far you have moved. You see how far you have gone from God. And you look down and you look at your feet and you're just entangled in a web of sin that could just pull your legs right out from under you. The way that we apply truth is to throw off the things that so easily entangle us. God was talking to Cain in in the book of Genesis because Cain was jealous of Abel because Cain's offering was not accepted, but Abel's was. Cain was waiting to kill his brother. And God said, Cain, you must be on your guard. You must be ready. Sin is crouching at your door. It is waiting to devour you. Listen, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at my door. Being a Christian does not exempt us from the attack of the enemy. Right, And so we must be prepared. We must be ready. The way that I do that is I throw off everything that entangles me so that I can resist that temptation through Christ. The issue is, we don't do that. We don't throw off the things that entangle us. We let them sit at our feet. And we try to avoid them in our own strength. The problem with this is, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, that he who sins is a slave to sin. Now, it doesn't mean that, okay, well, I, I sinned, you know, uh, you know, because I'm just imperfect and I, I'm a man. No, it's he who chooses to habitually remain in sin, who tries to claim that he's a Christian, yet doesn't allow God to transform his life. If we continue in sin, we are a slave to sin. We cannot stay there. So, you know, we wonder why, you know, demons and and the devil continue to have an impact on our life. We have said so many times this year and in this series that the devil has no authority over you except what you give him. 
So why do we keep giving him the authority? One of the points that Tony Evans made in his study is, you know, righteousness is right living. It is based, it's where God resides. Wrong, wrongness being the opposite of righteousness is wrong living in where the demons reside and where, where, where the devil operates, right? So if I want to be like God, I need to go where he resides. I need to live in an area of right living, in righteousness and connection with him. The challenge is we choose not to live here. Rather, we come and we stay in the wrongness and try to live rightly. And what happens in this, play, in this time is we now become like the surroundings that we find ourselves in. If I want to live righteous, I need to live like God. I need to live with God, yet I choose and often try to stand here and then try to make it over there. Even if I even try to do that. The issue that we all have to be aware of is when we allow the demonic, when we allow wrongness and, and the opposite of righteousness, when we just continue to live in sin, it, it severs God's power in our life. It blocks his ability to work in us. It invites the power of the devil into our life. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Notice it doesn't say that so that he cannot hear. It says that he will not hear. See, Isaiah, when he started this oracle, what he's saying is, listen, God is powerful. He can hear you. He can see you. He can save you. But your sin, your willfulness in sin prevents him from doing so. The fact that you choose to continue to live in sin communicates to God, I got it. Communicates to God, you stay where you're at. I'm comfortable in my condition. It severs his ability to come in. Not, you know, see, God, he's all-powerful, but he gave us choice. And he's not going to revoke our choice to come in and, and, and demonstrate his power in our life. If we choose to keep him at a distance, he will stay at a distance. One of the things that is important for us to realize is what this might look like in our life. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind that worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. What a desperate condition to find yourselves in. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You might say, well, John, that's, that's the world. Like you, you, hear, you hear all of those things, lovers of, of pleasure, they're, they're, they're conceited, they're proud, they're abusive. No, Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy is a young pastor, and he says, you need to look out for this in your church. He says that people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny it's power. 
He says, you need to look out for the people that have religion, but don't have a relationship. Because what happens is when we refuse to walk in truth, when we refuse to walk in righteousness, what we are doing is we are denying the existence and the magnitude of God's power. We are saying to the world and to God, you are not capable of transforming me. This is not, and we we can't live this way. We have to realize that a form of godliness is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It is the weapon that the devil and his demons will try to manipulate us into believing is acceptable. They will try to tell us and convince us that having a form of godliness is adequate. That coming to church on Sunday is good enough. That even reading your Bible is good enough. But if you don't allow that reading of scripture, the internalization of truth to be lived out in how you act, you've denied the power of God. You have fooled yourself, but you're not fooling God. You're not fooling him. Let me explain it this way. So my, my leadership team at K-Force, they're spread out throughout the country. And uh, they were all, most of them were in town this week for some meetings. And, you know, when we all get together, I like to take them out for a meal And um, so we were talking about what we could do. But this time, Mel and I were talking. We said, you know what, let's do something special. So we had them over to our house for dinner Monday night. Can any of you guess what we were doing all day Saturday and late into the night Sunday? Can anybody guess? Oh, cleaning. Oh, okay. So we're, we're not the only ones that do that when people come over. Okay. I feel maybe a little bit better. But um, why did we do that? Because we don't want our, you know, we don't want other people to realize, well, life is messy. I mean, I got four children. Two of them are 19 months old. My, my life is messy, right? But we spent time cleaning our house. I mean, if I called you, like it, it, after church, if I said, hey, I'm coming over to your house today, how many of you would freak out? Like you would just be really concerned. Not just because someone, but like the pastor's coming over, Right? The problem, the problem is we do this spiritually as well. That, that the, the mess that we have in our life, instead of like trying to get rid of it, instead of giving it to God, man, we take those pile of dirty diapers and we put them in the closet as if no one's going to be able to smell them when they come over. Listen, you can hide your trash from your friends. You can hide your trash from me. You cannot hide your trash from God. He sees it. He knows about it. He watched you try to hide it. We cannot fool him into thinking that our lives are okay. Rather, what we should do is take that pitiful offering that we might think is pitiful and give it to the Lord. Listen, we sang a song today about an alabaster jar. A woman that had, had saved money and, and, and purchased this perfume. It was worth about a year's salary. And she anoints Christ. But she was a prostitute. But she breaks this offering and she anoints the Lord. And he says, this woman has done something special for me. Listen, when you bring all that you have, even if it's just the sum total of your sin, and you give it to God, it is a sacrificial offering to him. 
Listen, I want to I I help you understand something. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible tells me that God took my sin and placed it on Jesus 2,000 years ago. And yet here I am every single day trying to hold on to my sin when it was Christ's 2,000 years ago. So we shouldn't try to hold on to it. I just need to give it back to him. I said, hey, this was yours before I was even born. Take it. Change me. Transform me. But you know what the problem is? Sometimes we love our garbage more than we love our creator. Sometimes I'm comfortable where I'm at, and I know that Christ is going to try and change me. And I don't want change. We don't like change. But change is needed. Transformation is necessary. Righteousness does not happen without transformation. But righteousness brings life. In Proverbs 11, it says, Truly the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. Proverbs 21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and love, they find life, prosperity, and honor. In Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can go on and on and on, realizing that righteousness brings life. We must give what we have. Even, even if it's our sin, give it to Christ and let him change us. Let him transform us. The issue that we have with this is, and why a breastplate is needed, is because once we've done all of this, our hearts must be guarded. Not against other people, but against the attack of the enemy. In Proverbs 4, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 21, it says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Man, that that scripture has proven true in my life so many times. Where I thought I had the plan. I thought that my ways had been, you know, analyzed. I take pride in my ability to assess a situation and make a decision quickly and, you know, being able to move forward. The problem is I'm taking pride in something that is wrong. God judges the heart. He looks at our pride. He looks at our selfishness. He looks at our, our, our refusal to submit. And he says, get rid of all of that and let me guard your heart with righteousness. So the whole point of why it's a breastplate is because a breastplate covers the heart. The heart pumps life. Without the heart, we have no life. And we talked about Jesus. What did he say about himself? I am the life. So in a, in a spiritual sense, Christ, the heart is pumping the life of Christ into us. And so the breastplate of righteousness, what it does is it guards the thing, the organ, what is pumping the life of, life of Christ into us. This is why it is necessary. If I want to walk in righteousness, my heart must be guarded against the attack of the enemy. Because the enemy, he knows how to attack. He knows how to come after us. It's important. And, but what's awesome is when we wear the breastplate of righteousness, when we have it on, there is a, a promised stability and a promised you know, transformation that happens in us, not just physically, but, but emotionally and psychologically. Psalm 112 is one of my favorite psalms. And this is something that, that if you're in a place where you are wondering where God is, if you are truthfully surrendered to the Lord, if you are truthfully, truthfully pursuing him, walking in righteousness, you need to hear these words today. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. 
for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. God will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear in the end. They will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away with the longings of the wicked will come to nothing. I want to just summarize for you. I want to highlight the promises that we find in that psalm. Even in darkness, light dawns for them. God will come to them. They will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They have no fear of bad news. There have been times in my life when I would look at my phone when a particular person was calling me and it would make me afraid. Because I knew that wasn't going to be good news. God tells me that when I walk in righteousness, when I've applied the truth of his grace to my life, that I don't have to be afraid. That I don't have to be afraid. It says that our hearts will be steadfast and secure, that we have no fear, and that we will overcome. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in the fulfillment of those promises. To do that, I have to apply the truth of God's grace to my life. I must surrender to him. Now listen, what's important to say is that this psalm does not promise that once you do walk in righteousness, everything else will be sunshine and rainbows. It does not say that when we surrender to God, everything else will be just fine. What it does say is that even in darkness, light will shine for the righteous. So if you are in a place of darkness, searching for the light, but you can't find it, ask yourself, am I truly walking in righteousness? Because it's promised to you. The light is promised. It is there. Christ is calling. He is reaching out to you in the midst of whatever dark state you might be in. Because you are his child and he loves you. This is because of his sacrifice that we can be transformed. It says, and we all, in 2 Corinthians, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory... We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's an important, important element, again, showing the link between truth and righteousness. Transformation into God's image or being remade into the image of God through salvation. It comes when we meditate on God's truth. When we study it, that, that, that meditation, you know, we tend to think about it in, in the context of our, of our world and, in, you know, just in what we see in the media. Like meditation, we think about someone sitting on the ground, feet crossed, you know, and just sitting there thinking, this is totally cerebral. No, no, no. Meditation requires, again, effort. Like, I need to think about it. I need to chew on it. I need to study it. I need to go and study the rest of Scripture, what it all means. Like, this needs to be my diet when I am talking about meditating on truth. I talked in the early service about ever having like a bad piece of steak that you have to keep chewing and it grows in your mouth. Like that's like, think about like, that's what you got to do with truth. Okay. Chew on it. Keep chewing on it. Keep chewing on it. Keep chewing on it. Get all of it. Right. I also used to tell the, 
the students in Elevate, like we would talk about scripture and then, you know, I was like, don't just think that you've understood. What else can we find there? It's like watching someone with a rib or a chicken wing and they leave half the meat on the bone, right? I mean, you don't want to be rude and disgusting, but part of you wants to say, well, I'll finish that for you. But we can't, we can't do that with scripture. We can't leave meat on the bone. Right? I got to meditate on it. I got to internalize it. I got I to let it transform me from the inside out. Because that is how I walk in truth. That is how I walk in righteousness. We get a picture of what that transformation looks like in our focus in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put to practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, what we need to realize is we have to shift our focus this morning. If you want to walk in truth, if you want to walk in righteousness, if your heart, if you want your heart to be guarded against the attack of the enemy, shift your focus. You see, the opposite of worry is meditating on truth. You see, the devil, what he knows about me is he knows that if he wants to attack me, he's going to get me to worry about something. This verse as an example, it's kind of interesting that it came, that, it's, that I'm preaching on it today. Because, you know, when Marley was three days old, I've told you about the time where, I mean, literally Mel's put, you know, performing CPR on her when she was, when Marley was three days old and, you know, we took her to the hospital and she, you know, they helped her. And the next day my dad sends me this passage. Well, Samuel had a, a, a reaction to some, some food last night and he got sick. And what does is, what is Melanie look at me? She's like, don't worry. Don't worry, right? And so here we are. For me, the message is clear. John, shift your focus from worry to righteousness. Shift your focus from, from the things of the world to whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, whatever mirrors God because I want my life to reflect him. How, do we, how, how can we walk in peace? It's when we shift our focus from the things that the devil would use to wear us down to the things that God would use to empower us in this world. You see, when we think about the breastplate of righteousness, there's this wonderful like, development that we're seeing, or at least that I'm seeing. The belt of truth, I need to have that, and I am secured in it. And then it's linked, when I apply that truth in my life, that is where righteousness happens. But then when I apply righteousness in my life, what happens? My heart is guarded, and I have peace. And so it's this wonderful progression that occurs. But in order for us to walk in it, again, we know that there are actions that we need to take. So my questions for you are this. Are you seeking God's righteousness first? Are you actively doing it? Are you aiming at it? Are you striving for it? Are you moving in that direction? Or are you seated in the world where there's wrongness and just, you know, kind of looking to where righteousness is? 
Have through your sin, have you cut off God's power, the flow of his spirit into your life? Have you become a slave to sin? If you were to look down at your spiritual feet, would they be entangled? And the sin and the lies, have you tried to hide your garbage? Is your heart being guarded by righteousness? And are you meditating on truth or are you meditating on lies? Are you meditating on truth or are you meditating on lies? Because when we meditate and apply the truth of God, we can walk in righteousness and we can have peace. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for me and everyone here. Father, I know that there are those here that cannot say that they are not afraid of bad news. I know that there are phone calls that we dread receiving. I know that there are things that we've almost been conditioned to hear. God, let us walk in the truth of your word. Let us hold secure to the promise that you make to us. Let us realize the magnitude of grace that you have given. Let us acknowledge the sin that exists in our life. Let us apply that truth, Father. And then even in the darkness, let us see the light. Let us see that you are reaching down. Let us see that even in this this message, this word that you have given us today, God, this is an act of your grace. This is an act of you reaching out and speaking to our heart. I see you. I love you. I want you to be pursuing me. I want you surrendered to me. I want you to trust me. God, where we have chosen to meditate on lies, where we have chosen to continue in sin, where we have chosen, God, to believe what the devil would want us to believe, forgive us, God. Forgive us for thinking that our form of godliness is acceptable. God, let us with humility bring the offering of our life to you, giving it completely surrendered to you holding nothing back and trusting that in that offering, God, you will pour out your grace over us, that your spirit will empower us. Father, I know there is transformational work that you are wanting to do in this place today. God, for each person that needs to walk in that transformation, give them the boldness to step forward. Give them the boldness, God, to come running to you, trusting that as they do, Lord, you will meet them. You will meet them. God, help us to have our focus on you and not on the things of this world, not on the things that wear us down, not on the lies of the enemy, God, but let us have our, 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 our spirits completely attuned with you, Lord. Help us to walk in the righteousness that you would have us do, Lord, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.